Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 202. Hope everyone had a fantastic 4th of July weekend. If you have today off, enjoy it, play some golf, maybe you know, nurse the hangover if that applies, and uh, enjoy this episode of The Back of the Ranch. I just got back from another exciting week at the Merido Amateur in Carrollton, Texas. Sam Choi from New Mexico is the new 2021 Merido Amateur Champion. I saw some fantastic golf from some players that I wasn't as familiar with before I set foot on property. The pool of talent in amateur and collegiate golf is so deep, that makes amateur golf so exciting. There's so many great players all over the country. They all have unique stories to share. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll be back at Merido in September for the Merido Collegiate Invitational. Some of the best teams in the country will be heading back to Merido, Texas, Wake Forest, Arizona State, Oklahoma, just to name a few. And did I mention that it will be televised on Golf Channel? Yes, not only will you get to see updates on my social media channels, and the best collegiate players will be front and center on television. So make sure that September 11th through the 15th are circled on your calendar. So timing is everything in golf. We all know that. And the release of this episode with this guest this week worked out quite well for a couple different reasons. First of all, my guest is Todd White, member of the victorious 2013 U.S. Walker Cup team. He's won more titles in South Carolina than you could than just about anyone. And there is a mind-boggling stat in this episode that I was able to get Todd to speak about. I'm teasing it, obviously. I'm not going to give it away. You will hear it soon enough. But Todd's a native of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And right after I posted this episode, I packed up my car and started driving for South Carolina. Yes, I am back on the road again to cover another amateur tournament. This time, I'm heading to Aiken, South Carolina to cover the Palmetto Amateur. Can't wait to cover this event. Make sure you're following the back of the range on Instagram. That's where a lot of the content will be posted. So again, as I always say, make sure you're following on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, now back to Todd. You'd think that while I was in South Carolina, I would just swing by, see Todd. Perhaps we get a little game, you know, perhaps a little match against a former Walker Cupper, right? Well, I can't do that because Todd has qualified for his first U.S. Senior Open Championship that's being held, of course, this week in Omaha, Nebraska. So our match will have to take place another time. Best of luck to Todd this week at the U.S. Senior Open. And also best of luck to a friend of the podcast, Serge Hogue, who picked up someone else's bag in Omaha. So best of luck to everyone in the field. This is a fantastic episode. Todd is in that class of amateurs like Nathan Smith, his U.S. four-ball partner. They won the very first one. We talked about that as well. But he belongs in that class of fantastic mid-am and senior amateurs like Nathan and Paul Simpson and Sean Knapp and Scott Harvey. The list goes on and on. Todd is a member of that class, and I'm thrilled to welcome him to the back of the range. Todd, how are you, sir? Well, everything here in South Carolina is warm, and it's wonderful. Well, and So looking looking forward to a little golf this summer. There you go. There you go. Yeah, well, we're, we're kind of, 
you know, I'm in South Florida, you're in South Carolina. We, we get to benefit from pretty, pretty good weather year round or, you know, for the most part to play some golf. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're talking, uh, recording this during U S open week. Uh, the big stars of the game are out there at Torrey Pines. And, um, I thought I would ask you as a former, um, dreamer, so to speak, you played in the 95 U S open at Shinnecock and this is the, uh, you know, the, the first year after the pandemic where they actually were able to hold local and sectional qualifiers. So there are some dreamers that were able to get in this year. Um, tell me about, before we talk about, you know, just your history in South Carolina and a lot of the things you've accomplished in the game, can you think back to 95 and your journey towards, uh, towards the U.S. Open? Well, you know, I'm, I'm 53 years old now, so remembering 26 minutes ago is uh, is difficult, much less 26 years ago. Okay, but, uh, got it. It's actually, uh, no, uh, to be honest with you, it was, uh, I missed the cut, and it was two of the most enjoyable rounds of golf uh, to be able to play in our, our nation's Open Championship and sure. to have qualified for it. Uh, yeah, I look back on it. It's something that not many people have had the opportunity to do. So I didn't, I didn't play well, but Hey, I had that experience. And I, you know, as far as getting through locals and sectionals and just getting there as, is obviously someone that's not exempt and someone that wasn't on the PGA tour, you know, it's, it's one thing to, you know, be out over your skis, maybe a you know, new environment and, you know, bigger stage. Um, but you know, how much did that affect you as opposed to, Oh, Oh my gosh, you know, there's, you know, there's Tom kite, there's Corey Pavin and and Norman and all the big stars. Was it just the fact that it was just something completely new to you? It was, uh, it was definitely new. Now the qualifying itself, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, the first qualifier, the first stage, I was at Duke university golf club. I played there before and, uh, you know, it's a place that suited my eyes. So I made it through there. And the sectional qualifier, it was really interesting because I, I remember the pairing like it was yesterday. Okay, um, It's one of the few things I do remember okay. from 26 years ago. Uh, but it, I was paired with Blaine McAllister and Paul Goidos. Oh, wow. You're kidding. And, and all three of us qualified for the, for the U.S. Open. Our entire threesome made it through sectional. That's awesome. Uh, and um, I just remember, I, I think I shot 70-66. And in the round where I shot 66, I only had the honor on the tee one time. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I think Goido shot 68, 62 and McAllister shot 62 in the morning. And then he kind of put it on cruise control in the afternoon. Uh, but no, it was, it was great because you hear those stories to where in qualifiers where you feed off your playing partners. And, oh yeah. You know, you know, the, they're, they're just taking it deep and I managed to, to, I guess, ride their coattails to a few birdies and make it. You're just, you're just drafting them. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's incredible because most of the time when you think about qualifiers, you think about just nail biters and just absolutely grinding everything out. And, you know, someone gets in on a four for two playoff or something like that. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, you mentioned you missed the cut, but then you, you played on the mini tours and you chased it till I think about 2001, if I'm correct. Um, uh, I, I stopped playing in um, really late 97. Oh, I'm sorry. You got your status I, back in. 01. I got my status back in a one and, and I waited a little, I, you know, I was, to be honest with you, you know, the only thing that was professional about my game was the moniker that said, you know, had the, the P in the, in the parentheses okay. beside it. 
because I, I never had status on any tour. Uh, I did Monday qualifiers and got into a few of it was the Nike tour at the time. Sure. Now it's corn Ferry. So, um, but again, it was, it was just chasing, chasing a dream. And I was a minnow in a very big pond. Now, and I'm just, I guess what I'm thinking about is getting to play with those guys, you know, Goidos and McAllister as you're, as you're getting into the U.S. Open and then being around it. I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, would you necessarily chase it as long as you did if you had not played with those guys in that sectional and just basically saw tour players like, well, well shoot, I just did what they did. I, of course I can go for this. Uh, that's a difficult question to answer looking back. Sure. Um, you know, I, I reached a point to where I just asked myself, is this something I want to continue to chase? Uh, I was in my late 20s and you know, basically it was time to, to start a career sure. and, and think about the future. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Would it have been nice to keep going? Maybe. But I, to be honest with you, when I got my amateur status back in 01 and was able to play in those events again, um, like the Northeast Amateur, which is you know, one of my favorite amateur events ever, um, it's it's been a blessing because I enjoy the game so much more now than I did when I was chasing it. Sure. Well, we'll talk about the Northeast a little bit and about the Palmetto and a lot of the other victories you've had, but I, I can't skip past the fact that it seems like, uh, I mean, it's fair to say that you've spent basically your, your entire life in your hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, went to Dorman High School here in yeah. Spartanburg, and I, I now teach at Spartanburg High School, which is Dorman High School's rival. Okay. Um, yeah, and I did uh, I did teach for, for three years in Hilton Head Island High School. I moved, moved down there for three years and uh, got a lot of, lot of really, really good friends down there that I still visit um, frequently. That's a nice place to have friends because there's some uh, uh, target-rich environments for some good golf down there. Um, there are some good golf courses down there. Um, yeah, I got a, a, a number of friends in uh, Colleton River, and okay. they and en- they enjoy two great golf courses there. Yeah, I, I was close to getting able to p- being able to play Secession. I have a buddy that lives right across the street from Secession in, in uh, uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, and then uh, obviously there's you know Hilton Head and um harbor town yes exactly thank you see your 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 absent-mindedness is washing over on me and so that's what's <laughs> happening right now um but no there's all that great golf there and like you said you you're you know basically played all the sports when you're at Dorman, and then you played your college golf at Furman, and that's just right down the street in greenville it is and you know, it's it's weird to look at me now, but uh, I actually received more interest from college football coaches than I did college golf coaches okay. coming out of high school. And uh, but if you look at me, I'm five nine. I weigh roughly 170 pounds, and I knew that football was not in my future. So I said, you know, why why you want to risk injury for four years when you can go go hit a golf ball and you know and enjoy college? And uh, the golf coach at Furman at the time, Willie Miller. Um, Coach took a chance on me, and those four years at Furman, I, I wouldn't trade them for anything. I, I made a great decision, and it was just the right place at the right time for me. When when you see some of these college kids that are, you know, whether they're Walker Cuppers or you're, they're All-Americans, and they're weighing their decisions on whether to leave early and, and turn pro, I'm guessing you must look at some of these situations, I mean, without knowing, you know, specific details, but... 
I'm guessing if any of these kids you had a chance to talk to, you'd say, oh, my gosh, do not miss the chance of spending your as much time as possible in college. Uh, absolutely. Now, you, know, you take you take those those guys that are in college right now and they're the upper echelon. Just the lure of the exemptions, the yeah. lure of the money. Uh yeah, it's it's very tempting, and I can understand the top level players who are you know getting it while they can. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's the middle of the pack guys right now, and not saying that they won't rise to that top level. Sure, but uh, enjoy college, enjoy the amateur game, bust your tail to try to make a Walker Cup team. Um, just have fun at college and have fun playing golf. A lot of these guys that I see out at at tournaments, uh, you know, obviously just at the NCAA's, and, and truthfully, what's happening now is, uh, you know, and I'm thrilled to see it. A lot of these guys they're taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility due to COVID here, but they're also like, I, I want to come back because of PGA Tour U, and I I just think that's great where they actually have a target to shoot for that gives them a place to play the following year. I I agree. Uh, any chance now i'm not sure how many of them are taking advantage of the educational opportunity to perhaps earn a master's degree or make sure they finish their degree but, <laughs> well, uh, this is the, this is the high school teacher talking <laughs> not the golfer now wait a minute who am i who's on the podcast right now i mean come on no you're right you're right no but you know it's it's basically it's a two for one it's a two for one yeah. they, they can get their degree or get an advanced degree and continue to play golf uh, who wouldn't want a win-win situation like that? Yeah. Um, now you you obviously were kind of jumping around a little bit, but you know you have this great career at Furman. You you are one of six uh, All Americans that have come out of the Furman uh, golf program. My probably most notably is Brad Faxon, um, former guest on the podcast. So yeah, we we got we got multiple uh, Furman uh, alums here at the back of the range. And, um, shout out to the Paladins. There you go. Shout out to the Paladins. And, uh, you know, you get your status back or you, you basically shut it down of playing professionally. And as you said, it's time to find a job, try to build a career. And most of the guys that I've talked to, uh, either just in person or friends that I have or here on the podcast, you know, to kind of live that mid amateur life and be able to earn a living, but also give yourself as much open daylight hours to work on your game. We've, I've kind of find that they, go into those jobs like real estate or, or financial advisor or insurance, things that maybe you can do from a phone, don't need to be tied to an office. You are a high school teacher. You're teaching government. You're teach- Is it government and history or just government? Just government. Okay, so you're teaching government. Um, kind of hard to phone that stuff in. You kind of need to be there during the week. So uh, <laughs> how did that enter your life? How did how did it become, I mean, you're still a teacher to this day. How did uh, teaching enter uh, enter your life? Uh, well, it was almost a progression in a way. Uh, I know that uh, while I was chasing the dream of trying to play professional golf, which obviously was not realized, uh, you know, and to help fund some of the some of the trips, I actually, uh, you know, I substitute taught. So I was in the schools. And when I decided to shut it down from a professional golf standpoint, uh, I had enjoyed my time working with the students, working with the young people and also, the one thing that goes along with that is I coached. I was an assistant coach for the football team, okay. uh, coached some sub-varsity basketball, and it provided an outlet for my competitive nature. Okay. 
And I really enjoyed doing that. I was an assistant football coach there at Dorman High School for 12 seasons, and we had a, a good bit of success. Um, I think there are either two or three um, players that we had that are in the NFL right now. Um, you got Sharon Peak, who I'm not sure if he's still with the Jets or not, and Adam Humphreys, who is a receiver with the Redskins. And did have Brandon Thomas, who was a lineman with the 49ers, but I don't know if he's still with them. So, you know, had some success there. And, you know, golf, I played sparingly, but uh, that's, it's, it is a, a, a good job to have for golf. I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. I've got uh, all, all of June, all of July, and the first couple of weeks of August that I'm not in the building. Nice. And it's it's prime time for golf. Now, during the school year, I do have to kind of pick and choose the events that I've got time to play in. Sure. Um, the four ball, it falls during, well, almost toward the end of the school year. Right. And um, I, have a, I have a school superintendent who is a, a former college baseball player. Okay. I have a principal who is a former college football player. And I have an athletic director who has coached at a high level. So all three of them understand that, hey, you know, he's not going and playing in a member guest. He's actually right. going and competing in a national championship. And, and that helps. It really does. Sure. And I would imagine, too, that it benefits your, your students as well, that they look at you as, um, you know, just not someone that's just, you know, I guess the better I'm trying to phrase in the right way, like not that it's just someone that is just dispelling facts out of a textbook, but someone that is actually uh, sharing life experiences that perhaps, especially the kids that are, they're athletes, I'm sure they can just relate to you on so many levels. And it, you know, having a little bit of credibility, yeah, especially yeah. With, with the golf team, sure. Uh, Working with them, and I'll be the first person to tell you, I know almost nothing about the golf swing. Okay. But, you know, course management, I'm able to work yeah. with that with the golf team. And actually uh, using using some of the past knowledge and a couple of contacts, I've created a, a class at school called Economics of Sport to where we look at almost every profession that's involved in the world of sport other than playing or coaching. Interesting. Letting kids know that, hey, look, you know, I really enjoy sport. I really enjoy competition. Well, there are career opportunities out there that do not involve playing or coaching. And you can still be around a sport or a game that you love. Have you gotten to that part of the class where you talk about the, uh, the, the, the luxurious life of a golf podcaster? Have you, have you talked? Have, has that come up yet? You know, I have not, okay. but now that you mention it, uh, that would definitely be a wonderful guest lecture that we can set up at any time. Oh boy. Oh, well, I better, I better get a haircut and tuck my shirt in before that, but I, I will take you up on that. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I would love to do that. Okay. Uh, you would pass the background check, right? Absolutely. Of course. Okay. So, you know, got to, got to make sure of that. I, I would. No problem. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm good. Um, that's yeah we might need to edit that out no i'm kidding no no it's good I, I'd, I'd have no problem getting it. that'd be fun though um uh well i just i think it's great that you act i mean every every teacher has their their private life and their personal aspirations but for them to be able to to see these things that you've accomplished uh you know and also it's right there in your own backyard i mean just all the things you've done with the south carolina golf association whether it's winning amateurs 
at match play events, there's a lot you've accomplished. Now, let's put you on the spot here really quick. I'll put you on the spot again later, but on the spot, are they rooting for you to qualify and do well in these tournaments because they truly are in your corner, or do they know that if you qualify, they're probably going to get a substitute teacher for a few days? Oh, it's substitute teacher without a doubt. Okay, I see. Yeah, the the the, be- the better I play, the more fun they have. Uh huh. Uh huh. So the better you play, the more movie days they get in class. Oh uh, well, I do leave things for them to do. Okay. Now, whether they work on them during class or at another time, but I do make sure that they do them. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what? Um, now let me ask you another question about you teach government and. Let's let's put you actually in the shoes of of, of you know let's let's talk about our game's governing body, the USGA. And I don't know if this is a hot hot topic with you or not, so we're just going to fish and see what happens. But if you were brought in as a consultant on some of the issues like the green reading books or distance and rolling the ball back or arm lock putters or anchored putters, um, and I'm not really asking what your opinion on each one of those are, but you know, you talk about how laws are made. You talk about how decisions are made, how how things are implemented at a governmental level. Is there a way that you've seen these things that maybe they should be implemented where hopefully the majority of the golfing public would be like, all right, well, maybe I don't agree with that decision, but I at least understand the process and I feel better about it. And I do understand the process. And I think each topic that you mentioned there really – only impacts a very minute section yeah. of the people who play golf. Right. Now, if you're asking me, do I think green, the green reading books should be allowed on tour or at a U.S. amateur? Yeah, I'm going to say no. Okay. I, I don't think so. Uh, in terms of scaling the ball back, again, that, that, uh, that horse is too far out of the barn. Okay. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, let's just take the college kids, for example. Now, you, you've got the best equipment in their hands. You've got nutritional programs. You've got workout programs. You've got kids that are bigger, stronger, more athletic with higher tech equipment. The ball is going to go farther. Uh, it, it, it's just how it is. Now, in terms of the, the forearm lock putter or anchor, whatever you want to call it, uh, I'm – you know, I, I'm not a fan of that either, yeah. but right now, you know, it, it's, it's within the rules and if people are playing within the rules, then more power to them. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how I think it's Xander Shoffley said, yeah, I'm not a fan of this, but it's legal and I, I putt better with it. So I'm going to use it. I mean, he just blatantly just said it right out loud. He's like, yeah, this feels like cheating, but it's not cheating. So I'm going to use it. Exactly. I mean, as long as it falls within the parameters of the rules, um, more power to them. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, something about, you know, you mentioned Walker Cup. Obviously, you played the Walker Cup team in 2013. And a lot of the, you know, guests that I've had on the podcast, if they're, you know, college kids, I, I kind of asked them that question of, you know, when did you first hear about or think about the uh, the Walker Cup? And it always, you know, uh, always seems to be like, oh, well, you know, like two years ago, I thought about it or three years ago. Well, you're in a different situation. You, you get your status back in 01 and you, you know, start playing, um, you know, more and more in the, um, you know, amateur circuit and winning, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, South Carolina amateur match play events and you know, amateurs, as I mentioned, 
when did and you know maybe was it even on your radar until they kind of implemented the rule that there would be two mid ams on that team? What when did it maybe start becoming a target for you? I, I've got to go all the way back to 1990. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I I won the Northeast Amateur that year. Yeah. And played well in a number of other national amateur events and you know received a letter from the USGA that hey you're under consideration for the team in 1991. Well, 1991, I did not play well and did not earn and did not deserve a spot on that team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, like a lot of people, yeah, I, I chased that dream of trying trying to play professionally. And I, I say this not really jokingly. Uh, the only thing that was professional about my game was the little, little asterisk beside my name saying professional. Sure. Because I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be out there. Um and it was, you know, just the game just wasn't there. And when I got my amateur status back, uh, I guess it was 2003. Uh, I made it to the round of 16 at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. And that kind of got my juices flowing again. And I said, you know, maybe this is possible. Well, you know, time goes on and then you realize, well, you know, maybe it's not going to happen. And then the USGA announced that they were going to have two mid-ams on the Walker Cup team. Well, that really got the fire started again. Sure, it it it, it provided impetus. It, it put the carrot out there, something to find to play for again. Um, so yeah, I made a concerted effort, and luckily, with my job as a teacher, I had the time during the summer to where I could go to the major amateur events during the summer, and and that that helped. But yeah, that that's uh, Walker Cup. Any amateur player who's under consideration or has aspirations for that it's the greatest event in golf now did you do anything obviously you just got through saying how excuse me you just got through saying how you have to kind of pick and choose the tournaments that you go at or that you play in during during the school year but the summer you kind of have have free but did you strategically work on any parts of your game did you strategically pick tournaments that you knew would be the ones to 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 really get yourself noticed as much as possible you know we're going to talk about nathan smith in a minute but you know he won the u.s mid-am in 2012 so are you kind of thinking to yourself well one spot's going to nathan i i'm really playing for for that last spot yeah, and that uh, you mentioned 2012, uh, Garrett Rank uh, yeah. beat me one up in the semifinals of that mid-am. Ugh. So it would have been it would have been uh, Nathan and myself squaring off for the championship if, if Garrett wouldn't have clipped me. Right, and he just and if you don't know, he just turned 25, I think, two days before that yes. event started. So so I always joke around with him and going, why couldn't you have been a late baby, you know? But, uh, well, and what's interesting yeah. about that U.S. Mid-Am is that's the one that I qualified for, and somehow you got past me. Uh, well, which uh, what part of the bracket were you in? Uh, I was in the B flight, the net division. Okay, the net division. Well, yeah, a lot, you of, know lot of people don't know about that division. I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I went and got to play the Muni course. When you guys were doing the match play bracket, I got to go play like a little nine and dine Muni course down the street someplace. Well, I'll tell you what, if your strokes were to fall on the par fives, I would not want to play you. Okay. Well, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that was, uh, but yeah, you know, the other thing is if Garrett rank isn't Canadian, uh, maybe he's on that team. Good possibility. Yeah. And, uh, Garrett, uh, 
great, uh, great player. We joked around a good bit after after the event, after he had after he had beaten me, because we did have a good match. Both sure. of us played well, and uh, I've I've given him a hard time since about that. But uh, he, he's a good guy, great player, obviously, and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that I don't watch a lot of hockey, but if I find out that he's officiating uh, a particular a particular game, I'll try to turn it on and find it. He is someone that I need to get on this podcast. He is uh, absolutely trying trying to get him. So, um, well, the thing about the Walker Cup that I, I just find so fascinating, you know, we just obviously met just down at Seminole just a you know couple months ago, I guess, or a couple weeks ago. Um, there's so much more to it, more to it than from you know what I'm looking at. There seems to be so much more than just the golf. And there's the camaraderie that obviously you're sharing in the team room, and you're sharing it with family and friends, and and obviously you're representing your country. Do you remember, maybe it wasn't even at National Golf Links when you guys were there in Southampton, do you remember when it first hit you that, hey, this is bigger than just me finding fairways and making putts and, and getting points? I Probably when I received the itinerary. Okay. And I looked down at everything that we would be doing during the course of the nine or ten days that we were together. And as you look on there, one of the things we had – um, visit to the 9-11 memorial okay and you know obviously we're in we're in new york so there's a lot more to do but uh, you know going there as a team and not so much the you know commemorating the event that took place there but just realizing that you're sharing this experience with with nine teammates your captain and you know robbie's there obviously robbie's all saying what a sure. great guy yep and and then the next thing you know, you're playing golf with a, you know, with president Bush and you're sharing lunch with president Bush. And for me, I'm looking at the entire, entire situation. I'm thinking for me as a government teacher, history teacher, Oh my gosh, this, this is a living walking classroom for yeah. me that all of these experiences are things that I can take back to the classroom. Yeah. And again, try try to communicate to the students that uh, yeah, I was absent for a few days, but look what I was able to do. Look what I'm able to bring back to the classroom and share with you. And it may not be in golf; it could be in other avenues. But these are things that you could experience in your life. Can you think of a story that you were that was shared to you by President Bush that you were able to then communicate to your students that they would never find in a textbook? I guess as we sat at lunch, we asked him a number of questions about everything that took place on September 11th. Yeah. And there were just some of the, you know, just some of the stories that he shared with us that you know, we're getting the, the news reports. We're getting the stories that come out later. Right. But he's giving us firsthand eyewitness account of someone who dealt with this situation directly. And, uh, you know, to be able to say, well, well, where did you get that information? Well, I got it from the president at the time. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it's kind of surreal when you sit back and, and think of it that way. I was there, uh, like I said, I was there at Seminole, and I got to walk with uh, with with the team as they played a couple holes. Or he didn't play with them; he kind of watched. But I know that's a thing that he's done many many times, and I know he did it with your team in 2013. Uh, that's my only interaction with the, with President Bush, but he just seemed like he was just in his element and enjoyed it so much. He didn't hit one shot with these guys at Seminole, but he just—I mean—he's making—he's doing closest to the pin contest, and he's you know th- you know pulling a you know a C note out of his pocket and saying who wants it. I mean, 
he looked like he was just having a blast. Was that pretty much the same vibe you got from him in 2013? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, exactly that way. Just he was out there and I think he was enjoying it as much as we were. Yeah. I mean, I know that he has to do a lot of ceremonial things, sure, sure. but, uh, but he was, he was in his element. Um, he could let his guard down just a little bit yeah. and it, it was fun to be around that. Uh, you know, and I was asking questions about the Texas Rangers because oh, yeah. you know, growing up, growing up playing all the sports, I would yeah, just any, any question I could ask him, it was just, it was great to be able to absorb all that. I mean, that must've been like fantasy camp for you. I mean, the, the golf of course playing, but just being able to soak up all that knowledge and, I can't imagine there was anyone else on that team was with that. I mean, not that they didn't get a lot out of it, but probably nothing compared to you. Well, I, I don't know about that. You know, I can't speak for the other nine guys, but, uh, but for me, I, I just realized that, Hey, this is an opportunity that I have to, right. To basically take all this back to my work. Yeah. And, uh, it's amazing how we talk about how golf, uh, a lot of business deals take place on a golf course. Well, here I am on a golf course and I'm able to take something back to the classroom for high school students. You're, so golf, golf opens up doors that people never even imagine. Uh, your captain of that team was, uh, was Jim Holtgrieve. Uh, I've had the pleasure of spending time with him uh, a few times, uh, especially the East West matches at Merido. I know he was at Seminole for the Walker cup. Um, you know, is there a way you can quantify how many times he started crying at, at the Walker Cup? Because I've only been around him a couple times, and he always gets choked up. How did he hold it together that week? You know, he he was pretty good. Okay, uh, he, right. you know he he's uh, he's a very emotional yes. man, especially when it comes to the Walker Cup. He's yes. very passionate about it, and uh, you know, I me I it's, at times it doesn't look like I have much of a sense of humor, but I, I like to think that I do although it is pretty sarcastic at times, love it. but I can remember that Saturday we've got the afternoon singles match. You know, they've, you got eight guys out there. If I remember correctly, I think Nathan and I set out the Saturday afternoon and I was with, with captain Holtgrieve. Well, you know, he's very intense and I looked at him and I handed him my walkie talkie. Uh-huh. And I said, I said, cap, I said, I've got to go back to the, to the cabins that we were staying in. And he says, why? What's wrong? I said, oh, no, nothing's wrong. I said, South Carolina and Georgia are getting ready to kick off the football. Oh, my God. And he looked at me, and I, I just said, Captain, I'm just kidding with you. I'm just trying to lighten the moment oh, a little bit. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's yeah. great. Although you have to remember, down south, college football is like a religion almost. So maybe, well, maybe I wasn't kidding. Well, and, you know, the other thing that's really interesting about that is I'm actually looking at the scores. And you are right. You and Nathan did sit out. But you know, you guys were actually down three one after the morning session, so you really did find a really um, uh, interesting time to play a prank like that because he probably was not feeling well about that time. Probably not, but some levity was needed. Of course, and, you know, and, and of course, Nathan and I did play in the morning. Perhaps that's why we were down three one. You, um, well, you guys were down after. Okay, so you and Nathan did play in the morning. You guys were down two and a half, one and a half. So he still was probably not in the best of moods. Um, but yeah, both you and Nathan did have the afternoon off on Saturday. And then after that session, that's when Wyatt, Homa, Kim, Whitsit, Niebrugge, and Weaver all won. And that's when it totally got flipped and you were up eight, four after that first day. Absolutely. And I was not supposed to play the morning session on Sunday. Okay. Uh, But, but Justin, Justin was having some back issues and 
basically, I don't know if it was that evening or the next uh, Sunday morning where he said he felt like he would be better off waiting until the afternoon to play the singles. So I basically filled in there in that, that morning match, morning foursome on Sunday. Yeah, and you had to play against Matthew Fitzpatrick and, uh, and Neil Raymond. So that's, that, that's a pretty tall task. Uh, I, I think they've done pretty well for themselves they're, since, yes. They're, they're making ends meet. They're doing okay. Um, yeah, they're doing okay. You know, it's interesting about, you mentioned that about, you know, Justin Thomas having a little, you know, little twinge in the back. Um, you know, this this Walker Cup, there were the alternates. We had two alternates on each team, basically there for the for COVID uh, precautions. Yeah. And it turned out that they were needed because of that stomach bug that kind of ran rampant on both teams. Um, I, I'm almost thinking they should have a traveling uh, sub that they can put in. Uh, do you have any feelings on that? I knew that I knew that one, you know, there was an alternate or substitute, if you want to call it that. I don't like to use the word alternate because technically right. they were a part of the team. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Reserve, ma- yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe so. I, I think a lot depends on the circumstances. I mean, we, we were just in s- such an uncertain time with, you know, what happens if somebody's tested and they test positive yeah. You know, you've got false positive tests. You, you just never know. Yeah. And so I think, I think this year, I, you know, what a great call and, and, and able to do that. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately because of the stomach bug that ran through the teams, um, it, it worked out. Yeah, no, I'm glad they did that. And also, you know, you got, you know, half of the team or a lot of the guys are, you know, in a different country. So it's not like you just call someone up and you know, I, I think there should be a, me personally, I think there should be a traveling reserve for each team, at least one. So you just never know what can happen. Have you missed any Walker Cups since 2013? I mean, as a as a former player or former member of the Walker Cup team, you're able to go to all these Walker Cups. You're part of the Walker Cup Society for the rest of your life. Have you continued to attend, uh, you know, Walker Cups since? Or was Seminole kind of one of your first? Well, yeah, it's this year was the first time uh, since 13 when I, when I was on the team that okay. the event was held in May. Okay. You Good know, point. it's in September. Yeah. So, and although the, the matches are on a Saturday and Sunday, let's say 17, I did not go overseas. Excuse me, 15, I did not go overseas. 17, I wasn't able to make it. I want to say that uh, we had some school-related thing in 17. Because um, coaching the boys and girls golf team, I may have had a tournament with the, the girls team at that time. And then uh, – 19, I did not go overseas, and 21, I was at Seminole. Yeah. I did make it to Seminole, and uh, my plan right now is to uh, to go over to uh, to St. Andrews and then go to Cypress for the next two. There you what go. great venues, oh, right? I'm, I'm going to be at both, so yeah, I, I can't wait. That's gonna be well, we'll have to play some golf. I'm just not going to give you your shots. Well, no, you haven't seen me play. I might need some. And, and you know, I, I look, you've won – look. I was going to leave this out, but I because I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But you've won a South Carolina amateur match play championship in four different decades. How do you explain that? Let's talk about longevity. Let's talk a little bit about how you keep your. I mean, 91, 2004, 2010, 2020. You know, I told you earlier I wasn't going to go down the road of like how do you keep up with the young guys? Forget about that. How do you how do you keep in shape? How do you keep your game sharp? year after year after year and also your mind sharp to you know i mean physically yes but mentally you have, you have to stay sharp for match play just with any sort of tournament experience how do you explain that i i'm blessed with some eye hand coordination okay 
Um, my golf swing is very simple. May not be very good, but it's very simple. Oh my gosh! And I, I, I basically, I, I just, I work to keep the ball in play off the tee. Okay. Use my iron game from there, because I think that would be the strength of my game with my iron play. And as long as I'm hitting the ball solidly, it it tends to go online. Um, and in terms of you know the four separate decades, yeah. There's a lot of luck involved in how you know the match play draw. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I don't want. I do. I do work. Just. I mean, I walk and carry my bag. Uh, really? I do everything possible to stay in shape. You're like Napper. You're like Sean Nap. That guy's. You know, he's a maniac. He does that too. Yeah, but see, Nap. When Nap does it, he'll carry it for 36. Then he'll hop on his bike and he'll ride for like 30 miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah I, I love Napper. Yeah, I love that. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid to go on a golf trip with that guy because you know I'll either come back you know crippled or I'll you know come back ready to join the Marines or something. Yeah, as we as we talk about you know former guests that you've had and people that I've had the the displeasure of being around. Uh, 2003 U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. We talked about that previously. Um, you know, naps there, and I'm in the round of 16, and he looks at me and he says, "I'll carry your bag if you want me to." And I said, well, you know, it was a 36-hole day. You know, you got the mat 30, round of 32, and then you got 16. And I'm like, well, you know, it might not be bad. It's a little bit hot here. He said, and he looked at me. He says, I just want to get inside the ropes. Let me carry Love it. Love it. So, you know, Nap K, what a, what a great guy. You know, obviously goes on wins the U.S. senior, oh. uh, senior amateur, uh, and his record's <laughs> impeccable. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, somewhere in that range of 50-some-odd uh usga appearances um it's so funny because you know I, i've had a run of, of college players recently you know just with uh you know with the national championship and, and i haven't had a mid-am or a senior am on uh recently and it's so funny because a lot of the ways that you describe your game is a similar way that you know nap and and uh you know paul simpson and scott harvey and and a lot of these guys are like, well, you know, I just, I kind of keep it in play and I chip it and putt it and ho-hum, I end up winning this, this, and this, and I've done, and it just, it's, it's uncanny how it's like, well, I don't know. I just go play golf and it's just fascinating how it's just, it's nothing fancy. I just don't get into trouble. Yeah. And you know, there are certain golf courses where that will work and somewhere where it won't. And, uh, that's the other thing too, is, you know, it, at my age, <clears throat> The, the last last year at the South Carolina match play, it was at a, a really good golf course here in South Carolina, Orangeburg Country Club. Uh, great facility, great place, it, but it's not overly long. Okay. So it puts a premium on keeping it in play, putting the ball in the green. So it just it played to my strengths. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I actually like, like golf like that, where you have to test every club instead of just airmail it and hack it out and find it and, and bob and gouge. I'm not a big fan of that style of play. So, um, one thing I did not want to make, I did not want to miss this. Um, you know, I did talk to a previous person on this podcast and you are in that same category. And I don't know if there's three other guys that can say this right now, but, uh, you and Nathan, uh, won the very first U S amateur four ball and your captain at the Walker cup in 2013, Jim Holtgrieve, his name is the first name on the U S mid amateur trophy. They start this national four ball championship. We need to talk a little bit about Nathan, how you got paired up with him, but did that ever really dawn on you when you're playing in a, in a national championship that, you know, whoever wins is going to be the first on that trophy. 
never thought about it the entire time at Olympic until they presented Nathan and myself with the trophy. Right. And we kind of looked at each other and like, hey, we're the first yeah, ones. Yeah, like there's nothing on this thing. It's, it's, it's yeah, a blank, we're, it's a we're, we're the first ones. Yeah, and, and then, um, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier, uh, then a, a, a USGA rep comes up and he says, hey, how, did, how does it feel to know you're on the trophy? And I was like, man, Nathan and I, our names will be the first ones on there. He said, whoa, 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 hold on. Says, he said, if I've got the story straight, the depiction that's on the trophy, it's, you know, obviously the four ball. So you have two players that are shaking hands that are on the trophy. He says, yeah, he says, the, per- the people who did the trophy, they used a picture from the Walker Cup in 2013 of you and Jordan Nieberge shaking hands. And they used that as kind of their artistic interpretation for what's on the on the trophy side so i'm thinking wait my name and semi likeness is on there that's pretty cool that is really cool and i'm, I'm sure they took some artistic uh uh in i'm trying to think of how to explain it because uh artistic liberties there because the person that would be me has a lot more hair than i have <laughs> I knew you're going that way. I knew you're going that direction. Well, uh, speaking of uh, artistic liberties, Nathan Smith has been a former guest on this podcast. Um, how did you get paired up with that maniac? <laughs> well, I don't know if I would. Ex- I don't know if I would uh, describe him as a maniac. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, I'm sure there are some other adjectives that would apply. Uh, but no, Nathan and I, we had known each other. Um, you know, for a number of years prior to the 2013 Walker Cup. And then obviously going through that process, making a team, being on the team, they announced, the USGA announced they were going to do the four ball. I got on the phone and I called them and I said, hey, let's give this a shot. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. And, and he said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Well, next thing you know, we're playing that one and then we get 10 more. So it looks like we're going to have 11 of them together. That's a lot of quality time with Nathan Smith. That is a lot of quality time with Nathan Smith. And uh, I tell you, in, it's, it's, uh, it's weird because uh, you know, we're out there, we're playing matches, and people don't hear a lot of what we say. But uh, both of us are kind of, uh, I just, how do I say this? We're childish movie buffs. Uh-huh. Oh, this so, is, oh we're, we're getting into a good spot here. I'm, 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 oh, absolutely. Let's go. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to hear you know, he'll, he'll hit it in there three feet and I'll walk right by him and I'll, you know, just like stepbrothers, I'll say, did we just become best friends? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or if, if he's out, if he's out of a hole and I, I cover him and make a par or a birdie, he'll just walk by shaking bake. You know, next thing you know, we've got uh, Talladega nights with Ricky Bobby going. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and I think that's the, the other thing is he and I are both very, very competitive but we also keep it in perspective sure. while we're out there. That's that, and I'm sure that you have made sure uh, you have given me two very tame examples. But uh, those are <laughs> those are perfect. Um, the, the limited amount of time that I've spent with Nathan Smith, uh, I can only imagine. And and just thinking that you get to, you guys, you basically get to go on a annual golf trip for a decade to some of the best golf courses in the country. Uh, I'm just thinking about that. Like, where do you sign up for that? I mean, that's incredible. It's, it's almost like you get to, let's see, we've got registration for next year's four ball in about a week and a half. Uh-huh. 
So you sign up in June for an event that takes place the next May. So it's like 11 months waiting to go to summer camp. Right. I was just going to say like fantasy camp. Uh, that's, that's hysterical. Um. But no, Nathan and Nathan, we great friendship, great guy, obviously one of, one of the best mid amateurs ever and arguably the best mid am of the last 20 years. Yep. That's uh, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And you guys had a really interesting match out at Chambers. It was, I think it was you and Nathan against uh, Harvey and White, wasn't it? No, uh, no, actually, uh, How did we it... were, uh, it, we, we were, that's what, uh, the way the bracket looked, if Scott Harvey and Todd Mitchell would have won their first round match, then we would have been paired against them, which, you know, that, that would have been a lot of fun. Right. Uh, you know, you've, you got four guys that are mid-ams that have, you know, had a little bit of success and it, it would have been fun. But uh, unfortunately for us, uh, two college kids that play at Notre Dame, you got Davis Chatfield, who lives in Massachusetts and plays at Wanamoisett, which is a wonderful place where the Northeast Amateurs played. Yeah. And then you've got Palmer Jackson, who I think lives not far from Nathan there near Pittsburgh. I, I, um, I've been told that I need to get him on this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you do that, then, uh, just tell him that, uh, you know, I, I still rue the day that he's sitting four iron into a par five and I'm laying up with a three wood, but, uh, I will let him know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you, if you like, you know, like stories that, uh, that come out of events, you know, it's easy for people to talk about shots. Uh, but, uh, when they beat us, uh, three and two Paul, Palmer did and Davis, they beat Nathan and myself three and two. And, both of us played really well. I think we were three or four under par through 16 holes. And okay. I think they were seven under or something. <laughs> Whoops. So, and, um, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with the Notre Dame fans when I say this, but, uh, I do it tongue in cheek and it's just all in good fun. But I, I, we were at lunch with them. We were laughing, we were talking and I just kind of dropped my head and Davis said, are you okay? I was like, yeah. I said, it just finally hit me. And he said, what? I said, uh, that he said that you're done. I was like, no, no. I said, it finally hit me. I said, now I know how y'all feel during football season. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and again, that it was said tongue That's in cheek. Best. It was That's just, great. it was just, yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. It was nothing malicious, nothing no, no, mean. It was great. just something fun. And, and they got a good laugh out of it. And we wished them the best going forward. And I, awesome. I think they got beat in the semis, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, I, I see. And that's what's so cool about it. actually I really like that tournament because you get just such an interesting mix of players. And because it's a four ball, it seems to add another level of camaraderie. And, you know, you, you can share it with your partner and there seems to be a little bit more. Um, it just it seems like there's a little bit more energy there than at an individual event. Yeah. And as, as Nathan said, um, when we played the first one at Olympic, he said, it's nice to have someone by your side when you're playing a beast of a course, because yeah. if you hit a foul ball, you know, you got somebody that can hopefully pick up the slack. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is, it is good. I, I mean, at Olympic, he and I played 76 consecutive holes without a bogey. Oh my God. At Olympic club. At Olympic. And it, we never thought about it until they brought it up afterwards. And Nathan looked at me and he said, did we do that? I was like, I guess. You know, so we never knew. We we just kept playing golf and having fun. 
That's incredible. I don't think I've ever heard that. So the next year, uh, next year's is at uh, Country Club of Birmingham. Uh, it is. I've uh, wow. been fortunate enough to play a mid-am and a USGA state team when they still had that event. Yeah. Play that there. What, what an incredible facility that is. And uh, I'm sure it'll be done in a first-class manner because that's the only way the Country Club of Birmingham knows how to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can I can only imagine what that is going to be like. Um, that will, however, not be your um, – that will actually not actually. I want to look something really quick here. I want to see if they have the future sites laid out yet. It's at Kiowa the year after that, and then right. it goes to Philly Cricket. Okay, I see. Yeah, I see on the website they have Kiowa, and then they don't have that up yet. But I'm sure I'm sure that's right. So Philly Cricket. Wow. Well, that's just that's going to be just a, a quick ride over the state for uh, for Nathan. So, and then uh, you know you look he he as I like to say you know. He, Somebody said, hey, look, you and Nathan are going to play in the four ball there at Kiowa, and, and that's where Nathan won, won a mid-am. I said, well, name a course where he hasn't yeah, won a mid-am. I was going to say, I mean, you know, I, I, it's – yeah, you're, you're right. He's, he's, he's the best <laughs> mid-am the last 20 years. And uh, that um, next year's U.S. four ball will not, however, be the next USGA championship you're playing in. You are uh, – you are heading out to Omaha, sir, and you have qualified for your very first U.S. Senior Open. So, congratulations on that! Um, Thank you. Looking forward to that. Yeah. What I mean, other than the golf and being able to compete on a national stage again, but you're no stranger to that. Do you have any, um, you know, do you have any personal goals for that week? Um, I know it's kind of maybe. Do you think maybe, hey, this will be interesting to see, you know, some of the guys that I might have. <laughs> competed against on the PGA tour had I gone down that road or do you, do you have you thought that much into what this experience is going to be? I really haven't to be okay. honest with you. Um, yeah, I qualified qualifying for a senior open, uh, since I turned 50 has been a goal. Uh, the first year I didn't have a chance to qualify cause I'd broken my wrist. Okay. Uh, the second year I just basically had gotten the, uh, the cast off and everything not long before. So it didn't play well in qualifying. And then last year it was canceled due to the COVID-19. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And in terms of goals, yeah, I've, I've got some goals internally, but I'm going to keep them internal. Okay. Is, uh, is Sean Knapp catting for you by any chance or no? I, you know, I, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I think Sean was uh, attempting to qualify as we're recording this this week, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe he and I, maybe he and I'll play practice rounds together if he's qualified. Mine was early. Mine was June the fourth. Uh, yours was your you were at Green Valley. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, they they spelt your name wrong on the OSJ site. You're not Todd White. You're Todd Y. They forgot the T. So I'm assuming that's still you from Spartanburg, South uh, Carolina. Sixty five. Well, you you were able to stumble in with the sixty five. Yeah, and if they spell my name incorrect, I mean, I've been called a lot worse. Remember, I'm a school teacher. <laughs> I understand. Okay, perfect. Um, Todd, I, I can't thank you enough. These, uh, I, I knew this. I knew you wouldn't disappoint. Um, great, great episode. Great conversation, and I, I wish you all the best at the U.S. Senior Open. And uh, yeah, we got to get a game at some point, and uh, we could talk about this guest lecturing uh, role I'm going to uh, fulfill for your students. I don't know how that's going to go, but but I think it'll be interesting. Well, I, I'm going to hold you to the guest lecturing, and I'm serious because, okay. uh, yeah, for them to have the opportunity again to see careers that are, you know, not do not involve playing or coaching, and again, I appreciate you having me on here. As I look at the names that you've had with, you know, Nathan and Vinny and Paul Simpson, Scott Harvey, and uh, Cole Hammer, uh, I'm just uh, honored to be uh, included in that mix. 
You uh, you are rightly uh, rightly deserve to be in this conversation. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Ben. And there you have it. Special thanks to Todd White for joining me on this episode of the Back of the Range. Best of luck to him at the U.S. Senior Open this week. As I said previously, I am on the road to Aiken, South Carolina. Next stop, Palmetto Amateur. Make sure that you're following on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.